1 Timothy chapter 1 today. And we will look at this text as somewhat of an introduction to... Thank you. I'm keeping my sound near my heart. <laughs> Excuse me for one moment. Now that I got it together... Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate that. I wondered why I was muffling today. This is an introduction to really what I want to share with you from Matthew 18. During the reading this, this past week, that's where we've been together. And the title of this thought is A Plea for Patience. A Plea for Patience. I want you to pay particular attention to this. Before I start, this is something new that you can just begin to do. Uh, thanks to Pastor Jenkins, we will now have four messages at a time on our website. So if you happen to miss a Sunday, or you know of someone who can't be in church, they can just log on, maog.org, and there's a spot where they can click on and in real time listen to uh, four messages. We will drop off the oldest one and add the newest one, so uh, if you're not able to be here, you know someone not able to be here, they can still hear the word. Do you have it, First Timothy 1? First Timothy 1, beginning at verse 12. There's a flavor to this today that I want to begin with since it's Thanksgiving week. A statement that the apostle makes about five times in Scripture. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to give his personal testimony. And so I, I want us to hear a personal testimony from the Apostle today. And it begins that way. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, persecutor, a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for those, the very same reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, notice this, might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If you want to make notes of this, let me give you the references where he gives his personal testimony in great detail. Acts chapter 9, the first 22 verses. Acts 22, the first 21 verses. Acts 26, verses 9 through 18. And 1 Corinthians 15, he gives great detail. He just kind of gives them a headline here. But in detail, he shares his personal testimony. The statement that he makes in this particular testimony is that God has given him abundant blessing and grace and has showed him unlimited patience. Displaying in his life unlimited patience. I want to make this statement to begin with today. And that on this Thanksgiving Sunday or Thanksgiving week, the one thing that I believe ought to inspire 
appreciation in every one of our hearts is his unlimited patience with us. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful for God's patience in my life. And in looking at this, this man, we know as the Apostle Paul, at that point in time, Saul of Tarsus, and he was breathing out threatening and slaughter and was a persecutor. It says that he was violent, arresting and putting people to death. Let me just read a little bit more of the detail from chapter 26 of, of the book of Acts. You'll get the picture clear. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that in just what I did in Jerusalem on the, the authority of the chief priests and many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I went to foreign cities to persecute them. The rest of the chapter talks about how God changed his life. But this is what he used to be before Christ transformed his life. He said, I'm thankful for his unlimited patience in my life. I was a persecutor. I sought through physical power, political power, to abuse to the limit these people who profess that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and that he rose from the dead. I was a blasphemer, denying the deity of Christ, forcing people, if I could, to deny who Jesus truly was. Injurious, violent, threatening, intimidating, imprisoning, and putting to death these people who embraced faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Though a very brilliant man, I see some tremendous contrast in his testimony. Perhaps the most educated had been given the greatest advantage to sit at the feet of the greatest teacher named Gamaliel and the highest possible education afforded to a Jewish man at his day, brilliant man. And yet, he said, I was ignorant. The contrast between all of his education and mental brilliance, he said, I was, I did this in ignorance. Schooled in so much and very religious, very, very uh, zealous in what he believed. But he said, I was, rather than a spiritual man, I was the worst of sinners. God has shown me my self, my sin. And I am grateful for his unlimited patience with me. Would you join me this morning and say, thank you, Lord, for your patience in my life? In working with me, with dealing with me, with drawing me, with witnessing to me, until finally I saw my sin and myself and the need of a Savior, and I came to Christ, and he transformed my life. I thank you, Lord, for your unlimited patience in my life. But I want to go a step further and say I'm glad not just for his patience before I came to Christ, but can I say to you, I'm very grateful for his patience since I've come to Christ. I have not been perfect since I have come to believe in Jesus Christ. And he has dealt with me in kindness. He has dealt with me with great and infinite kind of 
patience. Aren't you glad he does not come down with a heavy hand and with a fist to crush us because we have failed or made mistakes? But in his loving cords, he draws us to himself. And he tenderly, he tenderly chastens us and brings us to a place where we see our need and confess our sin. He's faithful. He's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. Aren't you glad for his patience? As we plea for patience today, Lord, and he turned this man from a persecutor to a preacher, from a man who is a murderer to a minister, and we focus some attention today on the grace and mercy of our God. Let me give you a trivia question. What would you say is the, is the most popular song that was recorded by more people on, on more labels than any other song? That you know John Newton as the author of that hymn. He wrote six verses, not four. We have four in our hymn book, but there were six verses that, that he penned. And when he first uh, wrote this song, it had a different, different title. It was Faith, Faith's Review and Expectation. It was not until sometime later that the term Amazing Grace was the title given to it. John Newton had a horrible history, a past similar to the man that wrote 1 Timothy chapter 1. A slave trader. He had signed on to a slave ship, made many trips to Africa, and would steal human beings and place them on a ship. And they were shackled and shelved in shelves, several hundred of them. About a third of them would die between Africa and America. And many others of them would become violently ill during the trip. And it was a horrible, horrible time in our history. He was a vital part of slave trading in America. His testimony is that on one of the trips coming back from Africa, there was a violent storm which he was thrown overboard and should have drowned except for the hand of God that spared his life. And out of that, he came to faith in Jesus Christ and embraced him as his personal savior. We might just kind of jump to the conclusion that from that point of conversion, he just sat down and wrote the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It might interest you to know that it was about 25 years later that he wrote that number. During that time, he continued the slave trading. In fact, he got his own ship, became a captain of, of a slave trading ship, many, made many voyages to Africa and back again to South Carolina. He says that during those trips, he would sit in his cabin and study the Latin Bible. He did Bible studies and gave Bible studies to his crew. Sunday was a special day that the whole crew had to stop what they were doing, and they had church services on a ship that was carrying human beings for slavery. When he got back to Charleston, South Carolina, he went to church, he sang the hymns, he sat under the sermons, and yet continued to do what he had been doing until he began to have seizures and that medical problem prohibited him from continuing to do what he had done. And during that time, 
the blindness that he had had to his own personal problems and sins vanished. And as Pastor was talking about physical blindness today, you know what, I believe there's a blindness that can exist in this room this morning that is far more devastating than physical blindness. Fanny Crosby was blind, but she saw. <laughs> she, she saw. There was, there was hymns that she wrote with spiritual insight. Even though she physically could not see the world around her, she saw another world. She saw a dimension of life that most of us would miss. God opened her spiritual eyes, and, and she had experienced the dimensions of God's presence and promises that many of us would miss. John Newton had a healing of those spiritual eyes, and he was able to see what he had not seen before, and he began to detest himself and regretted and repented for the lifestyle that he had lived. And friends who knew him toward the end of his life said, I was never with him more than 30 minutes that he did not talk about how it haunted him and how the Apostle Paul recalls his past life and experience and, and grieved over what he had done persecuting the church. He said, I'm an apostle, but I really don't deserve to be because I was such a persecutor of the Lord's people. Toward the end of his life, it said his final words were, my memory is fading. I have not much memory, but I do remember two things. I was a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. I was a great sinner, and I have a great Savior. You know, you've seen the bumper sticker, so have I. Be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. And I believe that there's probably blind spots in all of us in this room today. If we're honest with ourselves, there's probably some things you're doing, I'm doing, that if, if the Holy Spirit had his way, he would take the scales away and he would show us some things that are not exactly what he would like us to be. We are not quite like him yet. Would you agree that there's some dimensions of our spiritual life that we could use a miracle this morning in this room and we need to cry out, Oh God, open my eyes, help me to see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was blind, but now I see. This kind of challenges me this morning to say, Lord, I'm interested. This Thanksgiving, I would appreciate the Holy Spirit quickening my sight to see myself, to see whatever sin, so that I could find through the cross of Jesus Christ the complete cleansing and removal of what I might be blind about. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Be the miracle worker this morning, not just physically, but spiritually. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, and these are familiar passages to us, but as I read this again this week, in the living, New Living Translation, it kind of piqued my spiritual interest again. And I think the Holy Spirit was speaking into my heart and showing me something that uh, challenged me. I, I just trust if it challenges you as much as it has challenged me that we will find real benefit from this passage today. Understand the context. The context of the verses that I'm going to read follow a conversation between Jesus and Peter. And it has to do with forgiveness. How often am I obligated to forgive my brother? 
and the law required three times. He just said, oh, I'll double that and add one for good measure. Seven times, Lord, should I, should I forgive my brother seven times? And the Lord's response was, no, do it. Come on, help me. Seventy times seven. Do you believe that we're going to do the math and that would be all that God requires of us? Or was he saying, we need unlimited patience? So the way God has dealt with us, according to the Apostle Paul's testimony, he has given me unlimited patience. He has blessed me with unlimited patience. So I believe that that really is the marker that the Lord is making for Peter. Unlimited patience. Forty, uh, 470 times is not the limit because love really does not keep any record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, the first premier quality of love. Love is patient. The premier quality of love is patience. And so it does not keep record of wrongs. We're not adding it up until we reach 470 and we're finished. But unlimited patience. I wonder this morning of us who are with the Apostle Paul saying, thank you for your great patience, unlimited patience in my life. I wonder if we have the same measure back to the people who offend us and say, I offer you in the same measure that I have received unlimited patience. Forgive us our debts how? as we forgive those who are our debtors. Let's look at the text. Let's look at these few verses together from, from Matthew 18. And we're going to see him first as, as a debtor, and then as a creditor, and thirdly as a prisoner. That uh, Matthew 18, 23 through 27, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay... The master ordered that he, he and his wife and his children and all that he had was sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. A plea for patience. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. Some translations say have mercy on him and canceled the debt and let him go. He was a debtor. 10,000 talent. Now we need to understand that. New Living Bible kind of broke it down for us to kind of help us appreciate the fact of this man's debt. He had been stealing from the king. He owed 10,000 talent. History tells us it would take a man 20 years at the daily rate to make a talent, to earn a talent. 20 years. One talent you could earn in 20 years. And as I looked at a talent, it's 3,000 shekels, or the weight that a man could carry, a strong man could carry one talent. When you read the book of Revelation, there will be hailstones that come down from heaven that weigh one talent. So it is, it is the equivalent of what a strong man might be able to carry. A shekel is... 11.4 grams, or it is less than one ounce. So 3,000 of those make a talent. So it would take a man 20 years to earn one talent. If you do the math, and it's 10,000 talents, 
20 times 10,000 is 200,000 years for this man to pay back the debt he owes the king. Would you agree that's impossible? Come on now. You're thinking too hard today. 200,000 years and his plea for patience. Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Now that's impossible. That's asking for an awful lot of patience. Unlimited patience. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? I thank you, Lord, for your unlimited patience because I am simply not able. It is impossible for me to pay what I owe. Jesus paid it. Oh, hallelujah. His price was sufficient to meet my debt. And he paid it all. He paid it all. 200,000 years, we would never be able to do it. But he gave him unlimited patience. He forgave him the debt. He gave him mercy. The creditor in him, from verse 28 through 30, but when that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denara, grabbed him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, a day's wage is identified here. A denaro was what a man would earn in one day. And so, a hundred denaros is about three months, about uh, a quarter of the year. He probably could have, if he had worked at it, been able to pay back. With a little patience, he probably could have met the demands of that day. Be patient with me. But instead of giving back what he had freely received, he held him responsible for his unpaid debt, put him in prison. Now look at the rest. The rest of the chapter from verse 31 to 33, and the other servants saw what happened, greatly distressed, went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? Mercy. He had been shown mercy. He said, but since you have opted for judgment, then we will deal in judgment. We, we worked together, you and I, on the premise of mercy. You worked with your fellow man on the premise of justice. So since you have chosen to operate your life under justice system, then we will reverse our decision of mercy and you will also be dealt with in justice. Wow. We who are grateful this morning for his unlimited patience to us must return in kind unlimited patience with others. Is that tough or what? Would you agree with me that that's almost impossible for the natural man to accomplish? But I don't think he would ask us to do anything that we would not be able to do if we depend on him for his help. 
if he would give us the sufficiency to be able to do. I, I don't think he's ever going to expect us to do anything that he would not equip us to do. So the challenge to my heart this morning is, Lord, I'm so glad you've been so patient with me. Help me to return the same kind of unlimited patience with people who we find conflict with. Jot this down, Ephesians 4.32, be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God, forgave you. Just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow. Freely we have received, how? Freely give. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to help us. Naturally, we're not going to be able to do what we know is required of us to do. But with your help, Lord, all things become possible. Now, we like to quote that when it comes to God supplying our financial needs and God supplying our physical needs. But how many know that all things are possible spiritually? How many know that statement also involves what God requires of me spiritually in my life? If he's asking me to do seemingly impossible things in releasing people who have hurt me, then I have to say I believe God is the God of miracles, and if he can do it physically and financially, he can do it spiritually. He can help me to live in that dimension that I would never be able to live in. He's able to give me legs spiritually to walk, eyes spiritually to see, ears spiritually to hear, hands spiritually to accomplish. Whatever it is he wants me to do, he's the God of miracles. Can't get over it, Pastor. I just can't heal from this. Oh, listen, if he can heal cancer, he can heal a broken heart. If he can heal, if he can heal tuberculosis, he can heal those wounds that run deep in our spirit. He's able. He's the healer in the house this morning. God's here. He can help us forgive. He will help us to forgive freely. We've received it from him, and we can freely return it back to him as well. Larry Crabb says, conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. And he makes a statement about conflict, that it's neither good nor bad. Conflict is neither good nor bad. It's what we do with conflict that, that determines the outcome. I'm going to read this to you, and I quote, the difference between spiritual and unscriptural uh, uh, community is not whether conflict exists, but rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on the spiritual resources of God, we have the makings of spiritual community. In other words, it is how we handle conflict that de determines the level of our spiritual maturity. Wow. It's how we handle conflict that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. It is inevitable, church. It is inevitable. If the people that you work with and live with and worship with, it is inevitable. We are going to get in each other's way. It is impossible to live this life without experiencing conflict. And it is important for us to know God has a plan. He's building a man. God has a plan. He's building a man. And even thorns 
have been designed by the Creator for some particular purposes. And we're going to experience those times in our lives. It's, it's neither good nor bad, depending on how we view it, how we handle it, what it does in us and for us. I believe we can emerge from those times wiser and stronger and more like Christ than we were before the experience happened. Or it can cause us to withdraw and become bitter and become angry and we can become depressed, lose our peace, lose our joy. You know what? I believe that God is here this morning. He can, he can bring healing to our heart. He can restore. We have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. You know what? I don't believe that anyone is beyond the ability of God to reach out and reclaim. There were no two people more distant than Jehovah who was holy and Saul of Tarsus who was persecuting him. But God brought those two entities together and made him a missionary and an apostle that wrote about a third of the New Testament. There weren't too many people more separated than John Newton and Jehovah. But he was able to bridge the gap and bring them into unity and harmony. You know what? If he can do that with Paul and John Newton, he can bring it with husbands and wives. He can bring it with parents and children. He can bring it between other members of the family of God. I believe God is able. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He is able to save to the uttermost. Do you believe that? He can bring restoration reconciliation. There's no one beyond the reach of the arm of God. I believe in miracles. He is able to do exceeding, abundant, above all we could ask or can think. Hallelujah. I told this little story, first service, two people were having a conflict they couldn't really resolve, and so there was a wise man in the city, and one man went to him and poured out his story to him, and when he was finished, he said to him, you are absolutely right. The second man came to the same sage and poured out his story to him, and when he was finished, the wise man said to him, you are absolutely right. The wise man's wife was standing by, listening and watching to this whole thing, and she said, how is it possible? You've heard two totally different stories from these men, and you gave them both the exact answer. You are absolutely right. How can that be? That's impossible. He said, you are absolutely right. <laughs> how many know that there's always three sides to any story? My side, your side, and the truth. Somewhere in between. All of us have a bias. All of us see the facts through our own lens. And we are convinced that the way we see it is the way it is. But I, you know, I just believe that there's truth in both stories. There's some areas of that story that there's absolute truth in. But it is not the whole truth. And God, I believe, who is the truth has a way of helping us merge those areas of truth together. In areas of conflict, let me just give you some, some help seeking to restore the conflict. Do not look to assign blame. Uh, 
there is a tendency to accuse and excuse. Accuse others and excuse ourselves. That's one of the traits that human nature forces upon us. Make observations, not accusations. Get the facts. Allow the other person to respond. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Usually we have it the other way around. We're not listening, we're not hearing, but we're, we're telling, we're saying. The opposite is true. Keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Promote resolution. The point is not to fight and to win, not to prove who is right and who's wrong, but to restore to health. Not fight to win, not to prove who's right, but restore the relationship. How many agree that'll take spiritual maturity to do that? It'll take the help of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. But he is always present if we make ourselves reaching out for the resources available to us. He's there. There's a healer in the house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your unlimited patience to me. Ooh, I'm so glad. Before Christ and after Christ. Oh, I am so glad for your unlimited patience in my life.